0: All right, good morning. I too wanna say happy Mother's Day to the moms out there. Now, this isn't a Mother's Day sermon specifically, but as I chose this text, I do have the moms in mind. And that's because we're talking about hopelessness and anxiety. And I think all of us can struggle with hopelessness and anxiety, but the season of motherhood, especially early on, can especially be a season where there is struggle. So Melissa, my wife, said to me after our baptism worship service that she observed that almost every single person on the stage shared as some part of their story a struggle with hopelessness, anxiety, or depression. And after she was talking about that with me, I thought, as I was choosing what I was gonna preach on this week, Psalm 42 would be the perfect balm for the soul of the person struggling with anxiety. Now the scope of the sermon is a little bit limited and that's because I'm not a doctor and I don't have expertise in any way in clinical depression or clinical anxiety. And so I want those of you who are struggling in that way to know that I'm not trying to hit the easy button this morning for you, or to pretend that that whole world for you doesn't exist, and to let you know that my heart is specifically going out to you, if that's you, because I think that normal hopelessness and anxiety is complicated for you and could be further complicated for you within the church if I'm giving the impression this morning that your problem is 100% a spiritual problem. And so that's not what I'm saying. But what I am saying from this Psalm is that there is a core issue that is going on for all of us. And that's that we tend to place our hopes and our dreams in the things of this world rather than in God. And as we try to grasp onto those things and turn those good things into God things, and those things let us down over and over again, there is a deep anxiety and hopelessness and even depression that can be caused in each one of our souls. And so we are going to be called back by the psalmist this morning And see that hope is found in God himself. And so we're going to look at why we feel hopeless, what hopelessness looks like, and how to find hope again. So why, what, and how. First, let's deal with the why. Psalm 42, verses 1 through 2. As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? So the psalmist uses a picture rather than a proclamation to describe for us why we feel hopeless. We can peer into his soul in this moment and see that he is profoundly disappointed with his life. And he uses this image of a deer panting for water. Now, in that culture at that time, very agricultural, outdoorsy, everybody knew lots about animals type culture, they immediately knew what he was talking about. We don't. We live in a large metropolitan area. But what I found out in my research is that deer don't normally pant and they don't normally pant for flowing streams and that's because normally deer get the water that they need from plants so normally they're just eating plants and there's water within the plants and they're getting plenty of water a deer will pant after it has been chased by an enemy So it's been chased by an enemy. It's finally ditched the enemy. And it starts to pant for water. And if it doesn't find a pure water source, a flowing stream, a creek, a lake, within a short amount of time, the deer is going to die. The psalmist is saying, I feel so hopeless that I feel like I'm going to die. And here's the interesting thing, because I think he goes a step deeper than we usually go when we feel this way. So normally we say, I feel hopeless because things are hard at work. I feel hopeless because my kids are misbehaving. I feel hopeless because I'm not doing as well in this class as I had hoped to do. I feel hopeless because I got diagnosed with this disease. And I'm sure that there were things in the psalmist's life that he could have ticked off at that level. But he's so hopeless that he goes to the deepest level the deepest reason for his hopelessness. And he says, the deepest reason for my hopelessness is that like a deer panting for streams of water, my soul is thirsty for God. See, he's saying, normally, I was able to go to the things of the world, my friendships, my relationship with my spouse, my relationship with my kids, my job, religious services. And I was able to find some kind of hope in those things. I found satisfaction for the thirst of my soul in the gifts of God. But now what I've realized is I don't just need God's gifts. I need God himself. And he points us in a direction that is very helpful when we feel hopeless. Did you know that every time you feel hopeless, underneath the hopes that you have in this life and underneath the dreams that you have in this life, what you are truly longing for is God himself. Our disconnection from God manifests itself in desperation to be filled. And we will chase thing after thing and experience after experience without finding satisfaction if we never recognize that the thirst is deeper. It was a grace to the psalmist to recognize that the thirst was deeper. And we know now from our vantage point that the one who led him to this place was Jesus himself. And that's because we see an interaction between Jesus in his human body and a woman at a well that looks very similar to this conversation that the psalmist is having with God. Do you remember that conversation in John chapter four? Jesus is sitting next to a well, exhausted, and a woman comes to the well to draw water at noon, which was very uncommon to come at noon because it was the heat of the day. Women would come in the morning, so it was odd that she was there at noon. And Jesus says to her, I don't need a drink from you, you need a drink from me. And if you drank the water that I gave you, you would never be thirsty again. And the woman says, give me that drink. And Jesus says, call your husband and I'll give you the drink. And she says, I have no husband. He says, you're right, you've been married many times before and the guy that you're living with now is not your husband. She perceives that he's at least a prophet. He tells her he's the Messiah. He's telling her that he's the one who can satisfy the thirst of her soul. What he's telling her is something that all of us need to hear. In chasing sin, she is trying to fill thirst. See, Jesus, unlike the religious people of her day who rejected her, that's why she's there at noon because she can't show her face in the town because everyone has so shamed her. Unlike them, Jesus doesn't just see the surface. He doesn't just see the sin. He sees the thirst. And this morning... Jesus is not here to condemn you. He didn't come into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. And you've been chasing after a million different things like this woman. Maybe it's the approval and the affirmation of the opposite sex. Maybe it's validation in your work through making money, and you've been stomping on other people to get there. But whatever it is, Jesus is not saying, I condemn you. He's saying, I have compassion on you. Because you're thirsty. The core reason we feel hopeless is because underneath our sin and our brokenness, we are thirsty. For God. We are panting for God. And without connection with him, we'll die. We desperately need him. So what does this hopelessness look like? Look with me at Psalm 42, verses 3 through 4. The psalmist says, my tears have been my food day and night, while they say to me all the day long, Where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I would go with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude-keeping festival. Now, the psalmist is written by a Levite who's a worship leader who has been exiled from his hometown In Jerusalem and is now in northern Palestine he went from a religious community to a highly pagan community he went from a community where he was well respected and placed in honor to a place where he was ridiculed and so now he can't sleep and he can't eat isn't that true that when we feel hopeless, there are often physical manifestations of that hopelessness. Maybe for you, it's that you can't eat and you can't sleep. Maybe for you, it's that you have pounding headaches or deep anxiety where it feels like your heart is gonna beat out of your chest. And he's saying, this is the case in part because I've moved away from my community, I'm away from my friends, and my friends have been replaced with enemies. And I'm thirsting for God, I'm desperate for God, I'm asking him to fill this thirsty place in my soul, and it doesn't seem to be happening right now. And instead of friends to comfort me, enemies are mocking me. They know that I'm a man of faith, and they're saying, where is your God? There's no one to help you. So he's got his physical problems, he's got relational problems, and he's also got Nostalgia problems. Here's what I mean. His suffering and hopelessness and anxiety is being deepened by the good old days. He's exiled hundreds of miles from home, and he's looking back at Jerusalem, and he's remembering the church services and the religious festivals And the parties. He's remembering good things. He's remembering being surrounded by the people of God who are worshiping God with him. And he's in this pagan nation and he's surrounded by enemies. And he's saying, I wish I was back there again. I feel hopeless. I feel lost. And so he's deeply grieving. And he's pouring out his soul to God. But here's part of his problem. That's where his prayers are stopping at this time. His prayers are stopping with a complaint. When your prayers stop with a complaint about your circumstances, your heart will never be filled with hope. We learn from the Psalms that complaint is important. God has big shoulders. He can handle our emotions, even our sinful feelings about our lives and the complaints that have been caused by our own wandering away from him. But there is more to prayer, than complaint. If all we're doing is complaining, we get stuck in a feeling of hopelessness and loss and grief. So hopelessness overall looks like focusing on the wrong things. Letting your mind rest on all the things that you hate about your life. I remember being impacted by one of my best friend's dad in high school. So, when I was 15, one of my best friend's mom suddenly died. She had a brain aneurysm while she was having surgery. And I remember talking to his dad through his own grief process. And one critical step for him in the grieving process was when he went to a group therapy session. And he was sitting with a bunch of other people who had experienced sudden loss. And there was a woman there who was sharing about how she had lost her son. And my friend's dad was kind of put in his place as she was talking because he's like, man, like losing your spouse, you kind of expect to lose your spouse at some time in your life. I can't imagine losing a child. So he was empathizing with this lady and she went on and on and on and after a while he realized that she had lost her son 10 years prior do you know what he did he got up and walked out and never went back to the therapy session again because he said i'm not going to live in that place I'm not just going to endlessly rehearse my hopelessness because I'm seeing that that will spiral me into greater hopelessness. For some of us in the room, it's not what's happened to us that's the problem anymore. It's what we're telling ourselves and telling God about what's happened to us. We are stuck in an endless spiral of hopelessness because of the story that we're saying to ourselves. Hopelessness looks like endless complaining without any resolution. And the psalmist does complain, but doesn't stay there. He shows us, lastly, how to find hope again. Look at Psalm 42, 5 through 8. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. My soul is cast down within me. Therefore, I remember you from the land of Jordan and from Hermon and from Mount Mazar. Deep calls to deep at the roar of your waterfalls. All your breakers and your waves have gone over me. By day, the Lord commands his steadfast love. And at night, his song is with me a prayer to the God of my life. So the psalmist does something that's very interesting and instructive at this point. He goes from, for a moment, praying to preaching. Praying to God to preaching to himself. It's like we find him in this moment of hopelessness where he's starting to spiral and all he's doing is complaining and he grabs himself by the shirt and he's like, I got a sermon for you. And he asks himself this question. Why are you downcast, O oh my soul? Here's what he's doing. He would have always said that he believes that God is enough. But what he had functionally believed was that he could only meet with God in Jerusalem. It was God and Jerusalem. It was God and his friends. It was God and good circumstances. And he's saying to himself, why are you downcast? Hope in God. Your true hope is in God. It's not in your circumstances. It's not in what's happened to you. It is in God himself. And then he gives himself hope. For I shall again praise him. My salvation and my God. Then he starts getting really bold and decisive with himself. And begins to talk to God again. He steps from believing that his circumstances will satisfy him into the realm of faith, believing that God will satisfy him. He says, my soul is cast down within me. Therefore, I remember you from the land of Jordan and from Hermon and from Mount Mazar. Do you know what he's saying? I didn't either until I did some research. He could have seen Mount Mazar from where he was. It was part of a beautiful mountain range in Hermon, in this land, hundreds of miles north of Jerusalem. And those mountains, in the past, had represented for him the land of his complaint. And he had been so focused on his circumstances that he had been unable to see the majesty of God in those mountains. And so he is saying to God, I'm changing my perspective about my circumstances. Here's what I believe. I believe that you are as much my hope in these crappy circumstances as you were in those good circumstances. Because the only thing that's changed is the context in which I will hope in you. Nothing substantial has changed because you are the same yesterday, today, and forever. He is decisively saying to God, I choose hope even though I don't like where I am and how I'm being treated. So he embraces that although his circumstances are not what he has chosen, that God is there. And then he goes even further in verse 7. He says, deep calls to deep. At the roar of your waterfalls, all your breakers and waves have gone over me. He calls his circumstances, his physical maladies, the oppression of his enemies, the loss of everything dear to him, he calls those your waterfalls, your breakers, your waves. Here's what he's recognizing. His circumstances have been given to him by God not to destroy him, but they are like waves meant to wash him up onto the beach of God's mercy. He is saying, I've been blaming you for my circumstances, now I'm thanking you for my circumstances because I'm seeing that you are good. See, if our souls are thirsty for God, And without divine intervention, we will chase everything but God to fill the thirst of our souls. Then, the most merciful thing God can do is take away what we are chasing that we think will satisfy our souls that never will, so that we can be brought to Him and truly have our souls satisfied. Your misery is His mercy. It's been called a severe mercy. He wants you. He wants to satisfy you. He wants to know you. And after all that, here's the conclusion the psalmist comes to. By day, the Lord commands his steadfast love. And at night, his song is with me a prayer to the God of my life. Again, he's not talking to God, he's not talking to his soul, he's talking to us. Now he has a testimony. And he's saying, My circumstances have not changed, but my perspective has changed. And here's what I realize now, is that God has always been the same. Whether it's day or it's night, whether I'm in Jerusalem or a pagan nation, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. Great is his faithfulness. And the fundamental conviction of his heart now is that God is the God of his life. See, he realizes that all of his circumstances and everything that happens to him is under the sovereign control of a good God who wants what's best for him, who loves him, who has his best in mind, And he invites us to embrace the same perspective. Life will never satisfy us. Only the God of our life will. In this world, you will have trouble. Take heart. God has overcome the world. So in order to get to this place, the psalmist is saying, we need to do the same thing that he did. Over and over again. See, prayer is often not enough. Complaining to God, talking to God is not enough. When we are in places of deep hopelessness, we need to grab a hold of ourselves and preach to ourselves. What sermon do you need to hear that only you? can preach to yourself. You know, the first member of our church to go be with Jesus was a lady that many of you knew, some of you didn't, named Beth Orlowski. And she spent many years battling cancer. And toward the end of her life, I had the privilege of talking to her about what her battles looked like with the Lord. And she told me that she used to, in the middle of the night, after hours of prayer, when she felt like she wasn't getting anywhere, when she was offering her complaint to God, she would take her Bible and lay it on the floor in the room. And then she would stand on the Bible and she would say, I stand on your word. In other words, she's saying, my emotions, no. My circumstances, no. My complaint, no. Your word, yes. Beth and the psalmist are inviting us into this gritty, preaching faith that defies our hopelessness and preaches to ourself that God is good no matter what we are facing. It's not easy, but it leads us to this place of prosperity. We need to choose by faith To not look back at the good times, not look out at our enemies, and not look at the fragility of our human bodies, but look up to God and say, even if the mountains be thrown into the heart of the sea, you are my confidence to stand on him and on his word. Okay, how do we know? That he will not turn his face away from us. How do we know that he is for us, that he is good, that he loves us, and that our destiny is hope? 2,000 years ago, when Jesus was on the cross, he said something remarkable. Two words. I thirst. Do you know that Jesus wasn't talking about his need for water? He was saying, as a deer pants for flowing streams, so my soul longs for you. Jesus experienced deep soul thirst that was the consequence of our rebellion. He was forsaken by God. He was punished by God so that you never would be. God will not condemn you for your thirst, but you can come to him with it, and he will give you help in time of need. Isaiah 53, 11 says this about Jesus. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Do you know that Jesus experienced the hopelessness and the sorrow that you feel in your life right now? Jesus didn't just pay for your sin on the cross. He also carried your sorrow on the cross. And so the pain that you feel in your circumstance, Jesus can look you in the eye and say, I understand. I know. Exactly what you're going through. And so we have a merciful and faithful God who will not turn us away. But in our deep thirst and in our feelings of hopelessness will meet us and give us hope again. So let's come to him even now. God, we are uh, broken people. We say thank you that You see beneath our our sin and our rebellion to our hearts, and that you offer us in that place water. Would you strengthen us to fight? My guess is there's so many people in this room who are in that spiral of complaint whether they're complaining to you or complaining to others and have been unwilling to preach to themselves and we know that the strength to even do that comes from you so i asked this week that we would be a feisty hope-filled people that we would by your spirit, not believe that our circumstances are the end of the story, but believe that your faithfulness and your goodness is our story. In Jesus' name, amen.